Wow, wonderful. Wasn't that great to hear testimony and to, to hear what God's been doing in uh, people's lives? Thank you, Brian, for sharing that. I know that's been a, a long time brewing, that story, hasn't it? But uh, it was well worth waiting for. Thank you. And uh, we love hearing how God's at work. I wonder if you could have the slides up, please, Alan. Thank you for that. Um, it's my topic today. God is still able. Kind of fits really well, doesn't it? Which I'm quite pleased about. So that wasn't planned this morning, Brian, but thank you. Spot on. And Kate as well, and Ross for leading us uh, in that way. I was reflecting in preparation for sharing this message about some of the... Um, this is not highbrow, I apologize for that as we start. Um, some of the TV I grew up watching um, years ago. And uh, some of you of a very narrow age band might remember some of these programs. But um, I can't remember if it was Sunday afternoon or Saturday afternoon, wrestling seemed to be on the telly. Um, Big Daddy, Giant Haystacks, those kind of guys years ago. Uh, and then, forgive me if you've if you're not uh, had the experience of growing up in that sort of time period in the UK, but uh, here we go. Uh, another program called Superstars, which was on for quite a while, where the, the kind of different brilliant sportsmen, or sports people from different genres were pitted against each other to do a range of competitions and challenges. And, and I used to watch this and cheer for a chap called Brian Jacks. I don't know if anybody remembers him, um, but he was particularly good at what he did. Uh, lots of dips and um, squat thrusts and all sorts of challenge, physical challenges, running and racing and all sorts of things going on. And uh, in that, there was uh, a little bit later on contests like the Britain's Strongest Man or the world's strongest man. And uh, I remember watching these, always seems to be quite big guys. I mean, obviously not just beefy, but big in all sorts of dimensions, um, just really strong and picking up sort of giant rocks and carrying them for no particular reason whatsoever. And if ever you need a large sphere carrying, those are the guys to do it. Or you need a truck pulling uh, with, you know, just someone who's broken down in a truck by the side of the road and you can't get the AA to come out or the local breakdown company, then you need one of these guys with a rope to just drag the truck along and collapse 100 meters further down the street. Um, all these sort of things that you used to watch. and Slightly different kind of power being displayed, I suppose, but um, Record Breakers was another one I used to watch and enjoy as a kid growing up with a chap called Roy Castle presenting. Trumpet playing. Ian might have been inspired by watching Roy Castle's trumpet playing. Um, if you want to be a record breaker, you want to beat the best, you know, all that sort of stuff. Um, be the best, or you've got to beat the rest. And all that was this, the catchy song that I've forgotten just there. Different kind of power that was uh, on display was um, Tomorrow's World. Tomorrow's World was another program that ran for quite a few years where we were shown all the wonderful technology that would come in, in, in now. You know, the hover cars we'd all be in and the, the wonderful inventions that we are flying around. Different kind of power on display, I suppose. Um, all these different things where... Reflecting back, there seems to be a common theme with, of strength, power, ingenuity um, on display. And, and I'm just mulling over this in my mind of how we portray a certain kind of strength and a certain kind of power and a certain kind of ability. Because uh, I want to come to a particular Bible passage today that shows us how God is above all of that. He, he's more powerful, more able, stronger, mightier, greater than anything we could ask or imagine. And uh, it's in the letter from Paul to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians, and it's in chapter 3 from verse 14 on. I've got the words on the screen in case you want to follow it there, or you can follow in a Bible alongside as well if you want. Ephesians 3, verse 14. It says this, When I think of all of this, 
It's probably worth just saying what he's been thinking about. He's been thinking about how God has been at work in the church, how God has taken people who were not followers of God and united them into his people, his chosen people. And he's united us in Jew and Gentile together as one people uh, to follow Jesus. He says, I, when I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit then christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him your roots will grow down into god's love and keep you strong and may you have the power to understand as all good god's people should how wide how long how high and how deep his love is may you experience the love of christ Though it is too great to understand fully, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now, all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work in us to accomplish infinitely more than we can ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. God is able. And he's still able. And as Paul's writing this, he's writing with passion and excitement. He's using very long sentences. Some of them are broken up in our English translations. But he writes in incredibly long sentences with no real punctuation just to separate this flow, this stream of consciousness, this stream of thought. And he uses words in this which um, the translation I'm using here uh, says infinitely, uh, through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we can ask or imagine but the the word paul uses is a it's one where you you take a a kind of a superlative to say it's more than greater than then you add another one you add another one you add another one you kind of end up mash it all together and get one really big word it's a little bit like the theological equivalent of supercalifragilistic expialid it's just gone here we go this is a big immense it's it's huge this sense of so much more that god can do and he's excited we see this excitement on display and this passion because he's, he starts by saying, I fall on my knees before the Father. This is physical. It's almost guttural, this sense that he's conveying something. And, and he's showing us that God is able, that there's nothing that's bigger than God. There's no problem that's too difficult. There's, there's no thing that takes God by surprise. And he, he reacts with shock to and says, I don't know how to, to get around this. I've got to come up with a new plan. God doesn't work like that. There's nothing that tomorrow's world spoke of that would surprise God. There's no scientific discovery that surprises him. He invented it. He kind of knows how it works. He designed it. He designed creation. He, he put into the fabric of our universe the bits that we're still going about discovering. God isn't uh, smaller or defeated by sickness or poverty or drought or famine or doubt or any of the challenges that we face. He's not uh, diminished by injustice or broken relationships, or even abuse, or death. Nothing is so great that God cannot overcome it. The Bible is replete of stories where God creates, and He heals, and He delivers, and He restores, and He rescues, and He sets people free, and He makes good the things that were broken and difficult and, uh, and torn apart. God restores And we see that God is able again and again and again. 
In Jeremiah 32, verse 26, there's a little verse that just says this. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything? Just think about that. Is anything too hard for God? There's nothing at all that's too hard for him. And yet, as I read these words about God's ability and his mighty power at work within us, I I confess a lack at times and I shrink down God's ability in the face of an obstacle. I don't know if you've ever done this. I know I have. Where my my sense of God's all-powerfulness, his almightiness is diminished somehow in my own thinking in front of the latest obstacle I've come up against. And, And it might be that God's defeated one that was bigger a while ago and I've just forgotten. It might be that God's actually done something with my mate or a friend or a colleague or somebody else and I and I'm on my own, I'm feeling isolated, and, and suddenly this problem seems bigger than all the others. And I'm confronted by this, and I lose the sense that God is able. And my faith shrinks, and my prayers shrink. Or perhaps I know that God's able, but he seems disinterested. And somehow he's able, he's powerful, I'm not going to diminish God, but he must be more interested in them than he is in me. Because I'm left with this problem, and... Uh, I don't like it. And so we get these kind of this tension. And I want us to see today from this passage that God is powerful and loving. He's both. We don't have to make a choice between the two. And to give us encouragement to trust him and to pray bold prayers. And if you've been praying small prayers, that God would change them for bold, vast ones. And we'll see that God is able. So let's, we're going to have a look through this passage and hopefully draw some practical uh, truths for us today. Number one. This is the key verse, of course. Now to all glory to God, who's able through his mighty power work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we ask or think. Number one, in you. God is still able in you. Now I'm, I'm saying you because it hits with a bit more force then. Actually, it's us. It, it, that's the language in all of us. Um, but in you. God's able in you. Verse 16 of this passage says, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he'll empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust him. God's power isn't distant or remote. I don't think this is anybody here's house. Um, I've just picked it randomly off the internet. So if it is your house, I do apologize. Uh, I wasn't, it's not breaching data protection regulations as far as I understood. Um, God isn't distant or remote, but he's at work in us. Now, this is unusual for Paul to to write like this, to talk about Jesus dwelling in our hearts, to make his home with us, because normally he talks about us being in Christ. Paul's normal language through the letters of the New Testament that we read are that we are in him, that together we are together in him, that we're saved in him and rescued in him. But in this one occasion, uh, his focus in this passage is that Christ is in us. And it flips it round. And we're probably more familiar with this language because we've, we've kind of adopted this as our own terminology. We talk about people praying that Jesus would come and live in their hearts. Uh, and we talk about that with the kids sometimes. And it's, it's biblical. But sometimes it can be a little bit twee if we're not careful. Because what Paul's talking about here is something quite profound. Now the picture of a house is on here because it just challenged me when I was reading this through again. The bottom half of that screen says that then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Paul's prayer is that we might know God's ability in us. And to achieve that, he's saying, 
that he wants God to empower us with strength so that Christ can come in our hearts fully. Make his home in our hearts. Now, when you move house, if we put aside the sales process and we put aside all of that, we put aside the legal process, we put aside the packing up and the removals van and all the stress and leaving the kettle till last and all the things you have to remember, um, when you move in, just think about it for that moment, when you move into a new home and you bring your boxes into the house and you've directed people as to where they're going to go and everything's gone roughly into the right place, there's a process of unpacking and sorting out. You might have done some decorating, you might do some decorating, but it, you'd consider it a pretty poor deal if you bought a house and then put your stuff in the entrance hallway and didn't go beyond the hallway, didn't explore beyond there, didn't make it your home. If you just camped in the hallway and said, well, the hallway's nice, we'll stay here. It's a nice hall, particularly shiny skirting boards. And the walls are clean and they're tidy. Uh, we might need to go to the toilet at some point and that could be problematic, but we're going to stay here and camp here. We could need to eat or entertain or go to sleep, but no, no, the hallway's enough for us. That would be ridiculous. No one buys a house and only lives in the hallway. And yet we try and do that sometimes with Jesus. I think we try and say, Lord, come and live in my heart. You can have this bit. Please don't mess around with anything else. Don't, don't plan to redecorate. Don't rearrange anything. I like things the way they are. We've had that kitchen for a long time and I put it in. I like it. You're not touching it. Is this making sense? You see, Christ needs to come and make his home in our hearts. He needs to have freedom to rearrange the furniture. He needs to have freedom to chuck the furniture out and get some new furniture. He needs to have some freedom to redecorate and bring his own color schemes. And you know what I mean? He needs to have freedom to change. And that's my prayer that Christ would make his home in our hearts as we trust him. God is able to make a difference inside. Other verses go on and talk about Romans 16 verse 25, how God is able to strengthen us or establish us in Christ, in us. Uh, Hebrews 2 verse 18 it talks about how God is able to help those who are tempted. Jude 24, how God is able to keep you from falling. God's work in us is so powerful that he's able, when you're tempted, to provide a way out. You don't have to fall. We do at times. But God will provide a way out and he'll seek to rescue us. Hebrews 5 verse 2, he deals gently with us when we sin. And the aim of all this is so that we might be made complete in him. So God's at work and God's able in us. Secondly, for you. In you, for you. We read this, your roots will go down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it's too great to understand fully. Too great to understand fully. Wow. God is at work in you and for you. That power I talked about at the beginning, those superstar kind of programs, it was all about strength. You didn't really get to know the person. It wasn't like TV these days where you get to see the backstory and someone's ill grandma and it kind of warms your heart as you read a bit of the story and it's been a wonderful journey and it's the best thing in my life. We don't get all that on the old days. You just got someone doing squat thrusts or press-ups and that was all you saw. Now it's all emotional and you get a bit of a backstory. So we just had power without love. 
without anything else, without a connection. And here in this passage, Paul is talking about how after that, that God's work in you, then his prayer is that our roots will grow down into God's love and keep us strong. And we've got running through this passage the connection between power and love. Power and love joined together. So it's not just on God's ability alone, but it's around God's love. And we need these two things clasped together, working together to fully grasp God's power and his love. To be able to know that God's able, we've got to know that he loves us. Not only that he's powerful. My picture's changed from a house to a tree. And if I'd found a better picture, it would have had a stream running by. Or something else, that kind of sense of the tree planted by streams of living water, streams of water, which nourishes the tree in season, out of season, and it's able to flourish. But here, actually, I don't need a stream because the idea is that the tree's roots grow down into God's love. Our nourishing comes from God's love. Our resourcing comes from God's love. Our, Our fresh strength comes from understanding God's love. And I suppose my question is, what are our roots going into? What are our roots going into? As we have a quiet moment, as we're drawing information into our lives, as we're drawing reflection into our lives, what is it we find ourselves thinking on? You know those moments where the TV's off and you're not looking at your phone, those rare moments where you've got nothing happening. What is it that's refreshing us? What is it that's coming into our minds? What is it that we're focusing on and filling ourselves with? Because Paul's prayer is that our thinking would be about God's love. That we would be resourced by God's love and made strong by it. That we'd have power to understand the breadth of God's love and the depth of God's love. I think our minds are filled with all sorts of stuff. And not always about God's love. Not always even an awareness of God's love for us. We're not overwhelmed by it. We've become sometimes treated it as something that's just mundane. And and I just want to hold this up before us today and say there's a fresh encouragement to know that God is able and to see that he loves us at the same time. To know that God is both able and powerful and he loves us. It's huge. Uh, Paul writes in this passage about, I mean, it's an impossible task, let's be honest. He says, may you experience the love of Christ, though it's too great to understand fully. So he's like, first I want, to know, I want you to know something once your roots have gone down deep, how big God's love is, which, by the way, is infinite. And then I want you to experience something which you won't understand. It's like setting them up to fall in a way, but he's just throwing them prayerfully into God's enormous capacity to love us. Romans 8 verse 39 says, Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. Let's just pause here. God is able and he's powerful. Nothing's too hard. And God loves us and his love is huge and undiminished. It's not worn out. It's not run out and it doesn't need recharging. Thirdly, God is still able through us. I spoke on this last week as we began this series on God is still. And it's kind of this occasional series, just seeing a couple of weeks on it. Um, God is still able through us to bring glory to himself, to show himself to the world. Ephesians 3 verse 21, glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. My picture here is a lamp or a light bulb. My question to myself and to each one of us is what are we shining? 
is God's power seen? Is God's glory seen through us at the moment? Is it seen in my life? What, what am I shining? What am I showing? What am I demonstrating in my life? It's an ongoing question. As a result of having seen God's power and his ability and, and then put my roots into his love, surely there should be, as a result of that, something shown. God is able to be at work through us into the world at large. What, what do our interactions with people show about us and about God? Each time someone talks to us or we talk to them, each time we're interacting with somebody, what does it show about us and about God? Maybe you're on social media. What does our social media presence show about us and God? What, does, what do our phone calls, our private conversations show about what God's doing in us? My prayer is that God would be glorified, that people would see him, that people would see that God is able. So God is able in us. God is able for us. God is able through us. And this, this kind of highlights when we're under challenge, I guess, as well. There's a wonderful story in the book of Daniel where three guys are about to be thrown into a furnace. Not a pleasant story. It's kind of one we tell the kids though, isn't it? You ever notice that, that the kids' stories, the ones they like the most, are the most gruesome? But there's a story about three guys who are about to be thrown into a furnace and they've been encouraged to bow down to an idol. And there's this wonderful little phrase where these guys say, God is able. God's able to deliver us. Daniel 3, verse 17. If we're thrown into the furnace, the God who we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you've set up. Now in that moment, you're thinking, oh, but as we hear the story, we're going, come on, come on. That's a wonderful phrase, isn't it? I don't know if you're like me and, you know, you, you have a conversation with someone and in the moment you, you feel tongue-tied and the moment you've left the room, you thought, that's the thing I need to say and it's too late. I do that all the time. These guys, they knew what to say in that moment and they said, our God is able, but even if he doesn't do it, we're not bowing down because there's something bigger, there's something greater that we're worshipping, someone greater that we're worshipping. God is able through us. To give another illustration of this before we move on, um, our finances, often we see our finances being as ours, but in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8, we read that God is able to supply all that we need that we might be a blessing to others. There's a sense that it's not about us, actually, but God's able to use us to be, bring glory to himself and to be a blessing to others. So the sense of God's ability through us is that we can bless others and point to him. <laughs> God is able despite you. Despite you. The little last bit of this verse says, to accomplish infinitely more than we can ask or think. I like that. It's just as well, isn't it? Because it's the Bible. It doesn't really matter what I think of it. But I like it because it, has the right proportions. It has God as vast and me as little. It has me struggling to comprehend God's majesty and God's greatness. And my struggling to comprehend God doesn't diminish his ability to work. 
he's not limited by, by my prayer being the right formula. He's not limited by my theology lining up, though I want it to line up. He's not limited by, by how small I make him. He's mighty, and he's able to accomplish infinitely more than I can ask or think. The picture I've got here is, is of a mirror. Someone looking at their reflection in a mirror. And it's, it's not perfect. I couldn't find the kind of one I wanted. But I wanted one that you can sort of see through and see back at yourself as well. Maybe it's better to just have a piece of glass held at a particular angle. Where if you, if you kind of catch your reflection, you can see yourself in it. If you want an illustration of this, stand downstairs in this building um, any day of the week. And you'll find people looking in. And we've thought for years that people were really interested in church because they kept looking in. Instead, what they're actually doing is this as they walk past all the time. I've realized that no one's actually looking in. They're looking at themselves. And this is this kind of image I wanted to get without stalking people downstairs and taking their photos. So. But the idea is this, that we look back and we see our reflection and, and we need to see re- really and with good perspective. We need to see truthfully. You see, honestly, Paul writes here in Ephesians 3 verse 8, just a little bit before, he talks about himself and he says, I am the least deserving of all God's people. And yet he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles. A little bit later on in chapter 4, we read this. We, oh, I've missed it off. I haven't got this. Oh, I have to read it to you instead. Chapter 4, it says this. Um, talking immediately after this, God is glorious, God is able. Paul then writes, therefore I, a prisoner for the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you've been called by God. Be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Binding yourselves together with peace. But there's only one body and one Spirit. Now, Paul wouldn't need to write that if everyone was perfect. And we've talked about God's power in us, God's power for us, God's power through us. It would be wonderful to finish there and go, that's it, glorious lives, glorious church, we're amazing. Look at what God's done. We're all perfect. Uh, And yet the reality is that in the next chapter, he's having to write and say, look, guys, when you mess up, sort it out well. When you hurt each other, forgive each other well. That you might be united, be humble and gentle and patient and making allowance for each other. And we see that God's ability in us is matched by outward transformation. It's matched by how we live our lives, that we need to live our lives differently. There's one final thing, and I want to go back to this verse. Kind of the key verse, I guess. More than. Now, it doesn't quite fit with my in you, for you, through you, despite you. So, sorry about that. But this is important. You see, I wrestle with this kind of message. I wrestle because as a pastor, I'm aware that some of us are struggling through different stuff in life that I can't fix. And I want to proclaim powerfully the power of God and say, God is able because he is. And I know that we could say, if you've got any problem, come and we'd love to pray. And we would see God at work. And I also know that there'll be other folk who would go home without any evidence that God had been at work on that day, most likely. 
And I hold those two in tension, and I want to just say, God is able, it's what the Scripture says. And I know that there's actually sometimes a reality in our lives where we're not quite living there, and we wonder why. And we hold God's ability with his sense of love and and our own situation, and we look at this and we go, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? Now, this passage isn't talking about the kind of things we often ask God for. He's talking about something else. But I want to use the principle that I see here to apply to some of those things too. We know that Jesus challenges and says sometimes we don't receive because we don't ask. So sometimes faith's an issue. But sometimes people still do have faith and they still don't receive. So what's going on? I think the key is in that little symbol that's on the right-hand side. And forgive me, those of you who wished you'd left maths at school and it never came back up again, but this is a more than symbol, greater than. So the item on one side is greater than the one on the other side. I'm saying nothing more than that. Is that okay? Many mathematicians I'm looking at, did I get all right? Did I do that all right? Ish. Bit shaky. I'm stopping there. That's my GCSE maths. More than, greater than. This passage shows us uh, towards the last sentence, it says, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or imagine. You see, there are times when it feels like God has done less than we asked. There are times when we come to God and we say, God, you're more able, but we go away thinking that he's done less than we asked or imagined. He's done less than we could think of. He's done less than we could come up with because it looks like we've asked him for something and we haven't got it. But this passage tells us that God is able to do more than we can ask or think. Paul, who wrote this in another passage, writes to the church and talks about a time of great struggle for him. He talks about a time when he was in a situation, described what he had as a thorn in the flesh. He doesn't describe what it is, so lots of people have wondered. But he gets to the point of begging God. Now, Paul knew how to pray. The man who wrote this scripture knew how to pray. He knew how to have that discussion with God, where you say, God, I'd love you to do this. And I'd love you to do this because you know what? It would make you look really good. You've had that discussion with God, haven't you? I'd love you to heal Aunt Nellie because Aunt Nellie's friends need her to need to know that you're God and it would show you to be great. I'd love you to do it. Or you try and convince God. Paul knew how to do all that. Paul knew how to ask God. He knew how to pray with faith. This is the man that started loads of churches and is writing whole loads of the New Testament scripture. So he knew how to pray with faith. He would have been able to tell the difference. And three times he begs the Lord to take it away. And each time, 2 Corinthians verse 8 and 9 says this, Each time he said, My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. Now it would have been possible for Paul to come away from that conversation, understanding that God had done less than he asked. That God somehow had delivered less than Paul had asked for. Because Paul had said, Please, please come and take this away. And God said nothing initially. And then finally said, I'm not going to. My grace is sufficient. But the same man who wrote this writes that experience. And we discover there that what Paul's saying is, in the light of this scripture, when we go to God and he seems to have done less, actually what he's saying to Paul is, I've done more than. 
My grace is sufficient. It's more than enough for you. It's greater than what you're asking for. I'm doing something bigger in this moment. And, and this doesn't account for every incidence of this. But in this one, for Paul, I think it does. That there are times when we go to God and we come away thinking God's done less than and actually it might be an occasion where God is choosing to do more than. More than. More than you can see. More than you can cope with. More than you can work through seemingly. But God is enough and he's able in that moment. And he's doing more than we thought. Because, why? Because he's working out his purposes for all generations. Not just in this moment. So, what do we see today? That little scripture showed us, I believe, that God is able. Whatever you're going through, let Jesus have the keys to your heart, keys to your life. Let him move in. Let him rearrange the furniture. Let him be rooted, uh, let him be established in our lives completely. Uh, Let's check what the roots of our lives are going into. What is it that's feeding us? What is it we're drawing from? Let's check our light and see what we're shining out to others. Check the view of ourself. Is it honest and, and faith-filled? Because actually sometimes we can act in ways that don't help us. God's bigger. He's able to cope. But we don't always help ourselves. And then let's press in to God. Let's press in. Let me leave it back on that slide. Let's press in. Because whatever we come to God to ask for, he's well able to answer. And so we stand in that place of trusting him at all times and saying, God, I trust you. I know that our God can and will deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we're not bowing down to an alternative. We're going to continue worshipping him. Why? Because he's more than able and he's mightier. I wonder if we can pray. What I'd love to do is just to, ins- to see us uh, coming to God again and trusting him in this moment, trusting him that he is well able to be at work. Father, I pray for each and every one of us here in this room. We've been singing about your ability. We've heard about your ability. We've heard Brian's testimony today of you being at work in his life and in the ups and downs. And his, story, his testimony was that he's seen you at work. And yet he recognizes there's still more to do. And we're still in a place of ongoing need. And so we find ourselves today saying, God, we know you are able. You are able to raise the dead and open blind eyes and heal the sick and cure every disease. We thank you, Lord, that cancer is not scary for you. Even though we don't even like saying the word, you are able to defeat and diminish uh, and have compl- you have complete sovereignty over our lives. Lord, we thank you that debt does not need to bind and hold because you are the provider. We thank you, Lord, that you are the source of life and light. And we come to you trusting you, knowing that you are able and you love us. And Lord, I pray that those truths would rest in our hearts. And in the moments where we come and we ask you for stuff, And it looks as though we haven't got it, even though we asked earnestly and diligently and with faith. Lord, we pray that you'd help us hold on to trusting you and loving you and knowing that our roots go into your love. And trusting that in those moments, either we will see your provision because it will come. 
or you are doing more than we asked, not less than. Lord, help our confidence be in you, I pray. And we thank you that you are able in our day. Lord, I pray you'd help us banish small prayers and petty thinking and help us live lives of love and faith and grace and goodness that hold on to your ability. In Jesus' name, amen.